This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As the world watches the operatic end of the Trump presidency, with the Donald lashing out at vote counting procedures and electoral law, it's easy to forget that this wasn't a bad election for the Republicans. The party received more votes than ever before. We were a dead man walking presidential party at 2012. We were a party of country club types, a party of the suburbs. That's change. Trump may have to vacate the White House, but Trumpism has cemented its place in American politics, changing the country forever. The one thing politicians respect is the numbers and, and getting in a big vote. And if you can do that, then you, know, you are the daddy. Where do Trump supporters go now? What will the Republican Party do to hold on to them? Is Donald Trump the daddy of the grand old party? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, can Trumpism survive without Trump? Well, the day the election was called, Saturday, was quite a dramatic one. We started in Washington, D.C. It was about 11.30 in the morning when the main networks all called Pennsylvania and therefore the whole election for Joe Biden. Tom Newton-Dunn is a presenter and chief political commentator on Times Radio. He's also still cleaning the mud off his boots, having spent the last few weeks travelling across America, covering the election. That was a scene of extraordinary eruption of jubilation and celebration. It was like New Year's Eve. But then we got out of the city, drove upstate to Pennsylvania, to Harrisburg, which is the capital of Pennsylvania, three hours drive north of Washington. It was a very different scene. We came across quite quickly the, the Capitol building in Harrisburg, which is the state legislature. And on the steps of the Capitol building were two rival factions, can only be described as screaming at each other. One on five or six steps above, the other below, groups of 50 to 100 of each, hurling extraordinary abuse and, and anger at each other with a thin line of Pennsylvania policemen separating them. Wow. And certainly the re reaction of the Trump supporters was one of total denial. Uh, I mean, this is the hardcore Trump supporters. This is, this is the, real, the real base. And they were waving Trump flags and 
anti-abortion flags and stars and stripes. About 10 of them were very heavily armed, carrying automatic rifles and body armor, which is their right in in Pennsylvania because it's it's an open carry state, as they call it. And it was just one of complete refusal to accept that that he'd lost. And and their reaction was, I found, quite sort of fascinating. One of them said to me, look, he hasn't lost. We want to just know the truth, whatever that might be, whether uh, the majority or the electoral majority is for Trump or for um, the other guy. And uh, we genuinely believe, with good reason and evidence, that it's not, the data's not accurate. The numbers are skewed. There's so many inconsistencies. So that's why we're here. You don't believe the TV networks when they call it for Biden then? I said, well, look, he has lost. Look at the networks. They're all calling it for Joe Biden. Who? CNN, Fox, AP, everyone. Donald Trump uh, says he won the election. Donald Trump's our commander-in-chief and our president. Until Donald Trump tells us, the American people, that he lost, well, Donald Trump won. In fact, Donald Trump said the opposite. He said he won. Which was a uh, extraordinary reaction, I suppose, because... Traditionally in American politics, the loser concedes. And as far as they were concerned, until their man concedes, he hadn't lost. How committed are they to this? You know, you talked about them being armed. Um, how alarming is that? Well, it was hard to gauge, I suppose, what they were prepared to do about all that. What there was was a, a lot of shouting and a lot of anger and a lot of display of uh, potential force. But it was undoubtedly a show of complete defiance. And on the other side, they were defiantly rejecting the Trump narrative that he'd, he'd lost. There was one lady in her sort of early 20s, uh, clearly an activist, screaming up back at them in a very sarcastic fashion, oh, you're feeling bad, oh, I'm sorry about that. Well, my guy won. And there was utter hatred on both sides. And then we, we spoke a bit more to some of those Trump supporters, uh, the, the diehards, I suppose you might call them. Uh, and I asked them what it was about Donald Trump that they liked and why they refused to accept the result. And, and one of them said, and I totally believed him, that he had a very nice life, he had a very comfortable life. I have a great life, a rich life. I would take a bullet in my heart for Donald Trump. And I have a good life. He was very lucky, but he would take a bullet through the heart for Donald Trump, which wow, was a strong feeling. Why would you take a bullet for Donald Trump? I believe he'll do more good in the next four years. Um, I apprehend that he'll do more good in the next four years than I could do in the rest of my, my life. Okay. What did you make of that? Because that's, I mean, that's certainly not the sort of response you'd ever hear here. <laughs> you know, it's, politics doesn't quite incite that, that level of feeling. Uh, no, it doesn't. Not yet. Praise be. <laughs> Praise be. <laughs> I think what's happened in America, and certainly what's happened with Trump supporters, but also Biden supporters, is they've become so polarised. This, this wasn't just an election when you decide you know, which guy you like the most and who's got the best set of policies after you read their manifesto. It was a, it was a whole way of life, really. I mean, that, that scene on the steps does sort of just highlight how hard it's going to be to bring the country back together again. If the president does concede or, or is forced to concede, what will happen to those people who were willing to take a bullet for him? I mean, is this the end of Trumpism? What does it morph into next? Well, look, I mean, that, that is absolutely the biggest question uh, in American, if not world politics at the moment. You know, what happens to this large number of angry people? 72 million people voted for Donald Trump. Now, they're not all the same. They don't all feel like this. And they certainly all wouldn't take a bullet through the heart for the president. But they are very angry and, and bitter. And I felt certainly talking to them and the general reaction was, if Donald Trump does ever concede this election, 
then that's absolutely crucial for them being able to accept that he did lose uh, fair or square or not. But if he didn't concede, and we're showing no signs of him conceding at the moment, in the last few days he's been tweeting in his usual capital letters now, his caps lock seems to have got stuck on his, his phone at the moment. He's tweeting, I won, fairly and squarely. <laughs> Biden stole the election. So it feels to me Donald Trump is purposely now pushing forward this false narrative, the, the injustice narrative, purely, I'd imagine, to keep that base there, to keep that anger. It's a lot easier to keep your supporters and diehards with you if there's a cause for them to rally around. And a stolen election or a democratic injustice is a very, very powerful one. Hi, my name is uh, Sam Dunbar. I'm an attorney and a political strategist. I worked for President Trump from 2011 to mid-2015. I was the first campaign hire. My duties were strategic communication, overall strategy, and political outreach and coalitions. Although Sam worked with Donald Trump for years, they fell out rather spectacularly several times before Trump fired him for the last time in 2015. In 2018, after Sam spoke to the New York Times, Trump went to war with him on a battlefield that he's made his own, Twitter. It's actually a funny story. I had given a quote to Maggie Haberman in the New York Times about Michael Cohn. I believe what I said to Maggie, but I also knew that it would irritate Donald a lot. And I expected a response like that. But ironically, I'm two and a half years sober. Ironically, um, I was in rehab when he did that. And uh, I just thought it was almost funny and uh, all's forgiven. Look, uh, what did it say? So he said that Maggie Haberman doesn't have any sources besides a drunk, drugged up loser. He didn't use my name. And look, he was right. It can't have been easy, though, when you're in rehab. It actually kind of was, to tell you the truth. It was kind of liberating itself. Was he a difficult man to work for? He wasn't difficult for me because I had grown up in New York City. My father had worked for him through a law firm and I had known people around him for years. So no, it wasn't. And I think that also Donald, uh, President Trump, actually likes people. You have to pick your battles with him, but he likes people to stand up to him. He likes honest people. He likes counsel. Doesn't mean he's not going to do what he wants to do, but he respects those type of a people. And I think he was a very good boss. I think I've done some of my best work ever working for him. And he was able to push me in a different way than others have. I mean, obviously, you're split with President Trump, effectively, as as an employee, was quite acrimonious. Did you want him to win this election, though? I fully wanted him to win this election. And look, I'm a Republican. I'm a diehard Republican. One of the reasons I got into this business and worked for Donald Trump, you know, dedicating my life to it from 2011 to 2015, is having been through the 2008 election, working for Romney, and then watching McCain run one of the worst campaigns in history, and then watching Romney blow it in 2012, I knew that the Republican Party was going to need a candidate like Donald Trump. We were a dead man walking presidential party at 2012. We were a party of country club types, a party of the suburbs. We couldn't get uh, rural areas. The working man and woman were no longer voting for us. We didn't appeal to young people. That's changed. If you were to sort of boil it down at the end of, as we reach the end of his presidency, what would you say Trumpism is? 
Trumpism is pro-border, fighting against uh, a liberal type of, you know, they call it cancel culture now. It's something that involves a strong military, but less adventurism. We're not into staying in countries for, for years on years and wasting millions of dollars, but even worse, our young uh, troops' lives. It's um, a free market party. But what it really is, is a party that relates now to the working man and woman. He went a lot against the mainstream ideology of both parties. He was a hybrid. And uh, if you look at it, there's elements of Reaganism. There's elements of even some of Obama's policies, pro-union type policies. And he's always going to be seen as somebody who is independent, a third party type of candidate who is using the Republican Party for the better. I think Trumpism is different things to different people, to be brutally honest. And look, what I think is right is that there is no one homogenous Trump voter, that there is no one person who looks the same, all those 72 million. They're not all diehards. They're not all deeply passionate. A lot of them don't even necessarily like Donald Trump, the man. Some do. Some are an absolute hardcore, those bullets through the heart takers, perhaps. But we came across people who said they were voting for Donald Trump in spite of Donald Trump. They didn't like his brashness. They didn't like his rudeness. I wish he'd just shut up, as one of them famously told me just outside a supermarket in a very remote rural county of Pennsylvania. And having won so many votes at this election, has Donald Trump effectively redefined Republican politics for the next generation? Yeah, wholly. It's absolutely fascinating what he's done with the Republican Party. And you see that really with a lot of very senior Republicans, Republican senators, still refusing to accept Donald Trump's defeat when they know uh, in their hearts that, that the idea that it was all faked and it was a mass fraud is going absolutely nowhere. And that's because he, he has this extraordinary grip on the party, which is very much from the fact that he's the guy that managed to get more Americans to vote Republican than anyone ever before, even in this election. It just so happened that Joe Biden managed to persuade more people even than that to vote Democrat. But 72 million Americans voting Republican is a record. And, and the one thing politicians respect is the numbers and, and getting in a big vote. And if you can do that, then you, know, you are the daddy. And certainly anyone who runs in 2024 will almost certainly run on that Trump-esque ticket, that populist ticket, simply because the numbers are as they are and they're desperate to repeat his performance. And Trump's version of the Republican Party really did sort of seem to pivot towards the working class. Is that where it'll remain now? Trump's supporters are very interestingly split down the demographic. So yes, he did have a lot of working class, white voters especially, more than really Republicans have got before. He lost Perhaps the more educated college vote, the Republican college vote, uh, definitely went Democrat this time because they reject everything about Trump. But interestingly, he still held on to America's rich, you know, those earning over $500,000 a year in America, and quite a few of those, oddly enough. And this time around, he got voters out who didn't even vote for him in 2016. The sort of voters, in fact, who weren't even answering telephone calls from opinion polling companies, the YouGov yeah. or whoever it is, well, you know, which is why they got it wrong. But so they simply could not find those sort of Trump supporters who totally disengaged uh, from the whole system. That said, Joe Biden did pull a little bit of the, the white working class male vote back from Trump. So arguably it's on the wane. Uh, and that, I think, is going to be the main battleground now between Trumpism and Bidenism. You know, who is going to get those white working class votes? 
The Lincoln Project, launched today and formed by several of Trump's fiercest conservative critics, has already raised over a million dollars in its pursuit to defeat Donald Trump. Announced the creation of the Lincoln Project. We, we did see in this election, we saw the emergence of the Lincoln Project. We saw a lot of yeah, which we failed. people who had been... Which, by the way, was a failure. But we, we saw a lot of people who'd been within the Republican Yeah, so let's explain that one, too, and not to interrupt you. It's just I hate those guys, frankly. Those Lincoln Project people, I congratulate them. You want to know why? This is the second time many of them have worked for Joe Biden. Steve Schmidt worked for John McCain. Stuart Stevens worked for uh, Mitt Romney. Congratulations to you two, because this is the second time you helped elect Joe Biden to the executive branch, right? They ran such bad campaigns in 2008 and 2012. They would rather have lost with what they think is dignity as opposed to winning nasty. And you know what? They're never going to be able to work for a candidate that gets the presidential nomination on the Republican side. Every Senate race that they looked into, they blew their money and they lost all those races. If, if they were really Republicans that were just didn't like Trump, that's one thing. But then that was a grift where they were just looking to collect money from Democrat billionaire donors so that they could work for the Democrat Party because they also wanted to overturn the Senate, too. You know, these were people that were out of power, I would say, you know, as well. I mean, my broader point was, has President Trump ended up dividing the old Republican Party? And is that is that sort of factionalization, is it there for good? Well, if, if it means that people from the Lincoln Project aren't part of the Republican Party, that's a better thing. And it's, and it's no surprise, too, that you have like a Mitt Romney, who now is one of the leading critics of Donald Trump. And obviously McCain, McCain's wife, helped deliver Arizona to Joe Biden. So... When you say, is it fractional if it's a Republican stakeholders and power holders at the past giving way to the present, then that's fine. We're okay if we don't have those Lincoln Project types working for us. And we're okay if we don't have people from the Bush years on national security working with the Republican Party anymore. We need new blood and new thinking in D.C. as well. How do you think Trumpism has changed America more widely? It's certainly made America angrier. It's a more bitter place now. People you come across on the streets, voters, basically split into two. One half is the polarised half, whether it's for Biden or Trump, and they're very angry indeed with each other. But the other half, and, and I think there is, there is a lot of Americans like this, are tired and sick of the fighting and hate it. Interestingly, when we were in Harrisburg, watching these two incredible groups scream appalling abuse at each other, at the bottom of the steps, there were quite a few bystanders, probably as many bystanders as, as there were on the steps. And we talked to a few of those and they were looking on in horror saying, you know, what's happened to our town? This is not Harrisburg. We're a nice place. We get on with each other. These guys are crazy and we don't know what's happening here. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Search for thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And just thinking about that crowd in Harrisburg, thinking about those people on the steps, you know, what happens to them for the next four years? Do they do they sort of become a, a militant faction who still believe in Trump or do they sort of find a new home in the Republican Party, whatever that may represent? Where do they go? I think that's really hard to see. I mean, there are a lot of different avenues for them to go down. Do they go down the, the ever more polarised and militantized avenue and, and do they become, you know, an unofficial paramilitary movement? Or does Joe Biden make a good enough offer and, and bring them back into a, a great sort of middle ground area, which he's desperately going to try and build? And remember, America is, is just as badly, if not worse, hit by coronavirus than the UK is. And, and economically, as well, there is some support there, but the state is being less supportive than the British state, for example. 20 million Americans uh, lost their jobs already over COVID, and, and the long economic tail is going to be there for a very long time. And I think, I suppose it's who owns that tail. I mean, the governing power, which will be Joe Biden there, will take a lot of the flack unless he can uh, turn the economy around a bit. But if he can do, if he can make people feel a bit more secure, give them some, their jobs back and give them a bit more money, then maybe he can woo them away from Trump. So there's a huge amount to play for yeah. And I think the way forward for the country and, and who ends up um, winning this extraordinary ideological and cultural war is very, very unclear at the moment. And what happens to Trump himself now? Not going quietly into the good night, I think, is <laughs> one thing we could be absolutely sure about. A little about. late for that. Uh, is a bit late for that. So Trump TV is the great speculation. He he really hates Fox News. He's furious with Fox News for calling the election for, for Joe Biden, calling that crucial state, Arizona, on the night for Joe Biden. So he may well execute his vendetta against Fox News, the right-wing news network, and start up Trump TV, give himself a pulpit, make some money. He's in debt. We know he's in a lot of debt. The Trump Corporation hasn't fared particularly well for some years now, so he needs to make some money, and a, and a popular TV network might well do that for him. Whether he runs in 2024, I think, is an interesting point. He'll be 78 then. I watched all his rallies this time around, and certainly the last few weeks, and he was incredibly sprightly and energetic and formidable performer on the stage at the age of 74. Maybe he'll be in the same health and he'll have another go in 2024, or maybe he won't. Maybe he'll pick a surrogate, one of his children, Ivanka, uh, his daughter, most likely, and campaign for her as part of the whole Trump movement. But what we do know is he, he likes being the centre of attention. He adores that, and he's not going to give that up. Whatever he does, I think we can be safe to assume it's going to be pretty loud. We talked a bit about sort of potential successes and one of his children possibly taking over. 
I guess the question is, can you have Trumpism without Trump? You know, how much of it is down to his slightly mercurial, you never quite know what might happen next kind of character? Look, Donald Trump's a unique character. I like to say in life, there's three things that you can depend on. Death taxes and Donald Trump. Donald Trump's always going to be around. He, he's a highly interesting person. He's a remarkable piece of history, whether you like him or not. I remember having this conversation with him on his plane once when we were heading to a political event. And I said to him, you know, they're never going to be able to write about you. I was like, this is funny. And he goes, what? I go, think about this. If you run for president and you don't get the nomination or you don't win, 80 years from now, nobody's going to care who is president. But they're always still going to know about Donald Trump. The same way they know about the Henry Fords, the same way they know about the Rockefeller. They're still going to be thinking about you. And guess what they can never write? And he said, what? They're never going to be able to say you didn't do it. You didn't try it. He goes, you know, you're right. And he looked at me and he, and he points his finger at you and you're right. He's like, you know, you're right. True. Very true. I mean, there's never going to be another Donald Trump. There just isn't. I would tend to say, I suppose, it would be hard to have Trumpism without Trump, simply because he carries it so spectacularly with his performances. And I've always thought of Trump, watching him over the years, but especially watching him during the election campaign, is for whatever you think about him, whether you like his policies, whether you like his style, you may abhor the man, but he is a phenomenal performer. He's an incredible performer on the stump. His rallies, are extraordinary to watch, simply because it's just so incredibly enticing. It's car crash television in a way. You almost can't turn off because you don't know what he's going to say next. Watch what appalling insult. Where is he going to take this? And he is quite funny. Um, he's incredibly rude about people. Sometimes watching it, you sort of you react with horror, but at the same time try to stop a smirk coming across your face because it's just so outrageous. And that performance absolutely carries his politics, carries his, his populism. It's very hard to see someone else replicating that thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he can't carry that point, he can't do that performance for someone else, someone else he wants on that ticket in his name, potentially with his name. If Trumpism lives on for now. That much we can be sure of. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Tom Newton-Dunn, the chief political commentator and presenter for Times Radio, and Sam Nunberg, former campaign advisor to Donald Trump. You can hear more of Tom. He pops up throughout the day on Times Radio. Or do catch his show, G&T with Gloria DiPiero, on Sunday mornings from 10 till 1. The producer today was Asia Fuchs. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. And sound design was by Carla Patella. If you can, please do leave us a review. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or the Times Radio app. And if you have any ideas for stories that you'd like us to cover or any thoughts on what you've just heard, please do drop us an email. We're at storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.
Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.